Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. We've been going through the book of John. It's always important, I think, to read sometimes why things are written in the Bible. The book of John says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the purpose, the design of the book. And so when we understand who Jesus is, we'll understand more of who we are. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. May we get the wisdom that comes only from you and by your Spirit. Lord, that we would be able to apply the things that we read here in our daily lives. And so, God, for every person listening, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us from your Word. That, God, that this is not just ink on paper, but your inspired Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we look at this and we remember that Jesus did a wonderful miracle at the pool of Bethesda. There was a guy that was laying there by the pool for 38 years. The angels would come and stir the water. The first one in the water would be healed. The man never could get in the water in time. I suppose he probably went stare crazy staring at that pool year after year, month after month, waiting for the water to stir. We remember Jesus came there and saw him and he healed him. He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man did so. Well, when he did that, not only did he heal on the Sabbath, for it was the Sabbath, it was also during one of the, uh, uh, of the sacred holidays there in Israel, of Passover. We, we find that he not only told him to work, rise, take up your bed and walk, but he also healed on the Sabbath. So he committed two offenses. And by the way, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, that was a capital offense. You could be put to death for that. This started an uproar where Jesus was even uh, reluctant to go to Jerusalem where the miracle occurred. And so because of that, it's the old thing, no good deed goes unpunished. (laughs) Well, Jesus did a good deed for this guy. And those that were jealous that they couldn't do that miracle, well, they became outraged. Well, after these things, chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in the Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews had sought to kill him. They had sought to kill him because he healed a lame man that had been lame for 38 years. Now, if you're going to kill somebody, probably you ought to have a better excuse than that. But you see, spiritual pride and blindness is greater than some of the heinous crimes that we think in the world are so bad. And they are bad. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles was at hand. Now, this is usually in October in our calendar month. 
And the Feast of the Tabernacles is interesting. This is where, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, and they refused to go into the Promised Land a couple months later, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And God provided for them manna on the ground. We talked about this already. What does the word manna mean? It means, what is it? (laughs) That's what it means. They don't know what it is. It just shows up every morning. Uh, There's a little bit of a description. It sounds like it tasted a little bit like graham crackers. But it showed up on the ground. God provided. The Bible says their shoes didn't wear out as they wandered in the wilderness. A pillar of cloud by day uh, and a pillar of fire by night. Now, here's how God kept them. Somebody might say, well, why did they just wander in circles for 40 years? Why, Why didn't they just figure... Hey, you know what? That mountain sure looks familiar. Are you sure we haven't been here before? They went where the cloud was. They went where the pillar of fire was. The fire was their warmth by night in the desert, and the cloud kept them in the shade. Just as, you know, you'll be out here in Idaho, and you'll be out in the summertime, and it'll be a hundred and five degrees and then one of those big thunderheads will kind of come up and cover the the sun and whoo it feels so good well that's what they did they stayed in the shade and for 40 years god provided for them until the generation refused to go into the promised land died off and then god let their kids go in but god provided for them for those 40 years and so they thought to honor god with this festival of tabernacles, festival of booze, also called Sukkoth. It was that place where they would honor God. And so, and by the way, this is one of the feasts that when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem for a thousand years, the Bible says this is one of the, the, the feasts that they're going to honor uh, the, the peoples of the world. And so, his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Now, his brothers. These are his real brothers. The Catholic Church teaches the perpetual virginity of Mary. This is not taught in the Bible anywhere. And so understanding that, it says that his brothers, who were his brothers? James Jude, which is also Judas, but not to get mixed up with Judas Iscariot. So they use the name Jude, the same one that wrote the book of Jude, the book right before the book of Revelation. And also Simon, his three brothers, said, Jesus, you do need to go to Jerusalem. That's where your, your, your disciples, and, and you can really, really do some more miracles and get a big crowd following you. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Verse 4, I got ahead of myself. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So he's saying that, look, uh, if if, if popularity is your game, uh, this is what you got to do to play to the crowd. Friends, Jesus never played to the crowd. I like that. You don't have to play to the crowd. Well, everybody's doing it. That doesn't mean it's good. The old saying, well, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? 
Well, that's kind of the idea. We got to be careful. The accolade of people is always a fleeting thing. Remember Paul and his companion, they go into a town and they heal this person. And all of a sudden here the whole town shows up trying to sacrifice animals to them. And and they thought they were Zeus and Hermes, Zeus, uh, uh, Jupiter and Mercury that came down out of the sky. Then the Judaizers got in there, turned the crowd against them. In the morning, they were hired as gods. By that night, they were drug out of the city and they tried to stone them to death. People are fickle. You want to be careful about the fickleness of people. Do what's right in God's eyes. That's why we read the Bible. So you'll know you're not playing to the crowd. And so he says, look, if... if popularity is your game. Get down to Judah. Get down to Jerusalem where your disciples and everybody can see all these things you're doing. For even his brothers did not believe in him. It's amazing again to me that if you go to the book of Psalms 69.8, and you can look this up later if you like, but it says even his own family rejected him. This is a prophecy of Jesus way back in the Old Testament. Then Jesus said to them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. I like that. Jesus saying my season or my purpose has not yet come. His purpose was to be the Paschal Lamb to take away the sins of the world. That's his purpose. That's why he came. Our purpose is to worship and glorify God. Jesus said my purpose is is to die for the sins of people. My time hasn't come yet. But your purpose, he said, is always to glorify God. Because, he says, your time is always ready. That's what we're supposed to be about. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that it works are evil. You look at this real quickly here, and it says... The world cannot hate you, it hates me. In fact, another place the Bible said isn't they hate, uh, the people hate you, it's hate, they hate Jesus in you. Why? Everywhere you go, you represent Christ, or at least we should. And when we don't, we ask God to forgive us, we pick up and go on. Now the Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God, there's none righteous, no, not one. That's, I've talked to a lot of people, do you want to accept Christ as your Savior? Well, yeah, but I'm afraid I will fail, they'll say. Let me take any doubt in your mind away. You will. But that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. That doesn't mean God doesn't forgive you. That's why in the, uh, the book of John, in the epistles of John, John writes, he says, little children, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. You need to remember that. That's why you have a lawyer in heaven. You know what a lawyer does? How many people know what lawyers do other than give you a headache and a hole in your wallet? (laughs) Lawyers are to fix things, or at least hopefully. Jesus is our advocate. He is our go-between. He's our lawyer that pleads our case to the Father to make us righteous and to fix wrong what we've done. Friends, listen. A lot of people can forgive you. Jesus fixes what we did wrong. Isn't that great to know? 
So not only are you forgiven, but God then, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but it invokes the power of God to fix what we did wrong. You understand that? What kind of a message of the gospel is it, friends, that goes out today that Jesus will forgive your sins, but you know what you don't hear very much of? God can fix what we did wrong. Now, I don't know how God fixes every situation, but God's got glue guns and crazy glue and all kinds of stuff to fix what we break. I have a little girl, and she's good at breaking stuff. And she has a little saying that she says to Mama, Daddy, fix it. I was in trouble when, well, I, I, and I fixed, you know, she broke the arm off her sunglasses and I popped that back on and, you know, she broke other things. She brought me a balloon that she had popped. I think I'm not going to do very well with this one. But God has a way of fixing whatever it is we've done wrong. See, that's what's so great about being a Christian. It isn't, and it is a great thing, friends, but it isn't just being forgiven of our sins, but you've called in the great repairer of our lives. He's a fixer. God fixes things. God restores things. He's the master recycler. I like that about God. Only God can do that. You know, you can go and, and, and find other... You know, you know uh, uh, in, in pagan religions, you know, you, you, you turn on television, National Geographic or whatever, and you'll see these temples over in the Middle East and whatever, and they got all this incense going up and the mice running all over, eating all the grain while the people starve. Doesn't make any sense, but that's the way they do it. And, and they're running all over. And, and they're appeasing their God. God's forgiving us. But you never hear him talk about how God repairs the individual. That's because God does. Our time is always. Our time is now. That's what we need. And so, the world cannot really hate you. What they hate is Jesus in you. That's the problem. Now, the Bible says to some you'll be the fragrance of life. And to others, you'll be the stench of death. And you probably noticed this as you shared your faith with people. You'll say, you know what? They'll say, hey, let's go out and tear it up. And you go, I don't do that anymore. I'm a Christian now, and, and Jesus has forgiven my sins. And they'll go, oh, really? Tell me more. Or they'll say, ah, Jesus freak, and run out the door. I mean, that's kind of the reaction that I have found. Well, it's the world and depends on how their heart is positioned, whether they want to receive the message of forgiveness and the message of repair. Oh, God, glue us together again. Fix us. I need to be fixed. You need to be fixed. You know, communion is so important, friends, because... The blood, Jesus holds up the cup. He said, this is my blood which is shed for you. And we recognize again, we're forgiven. Yes, great. 
But the bread, you know, I've talked to a lot of Christians in my life, and they go, well, I don't know, it's just kind of the bread kind of goes along with the cookie, you know, I guess. You know, it kind of goes along with the juice. No, the bread is Jesus. Peter said, by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he holds it up and he breaks it and he passes it around. My body is broken for you. He's the healer. Friends, we have a God that heals. Well, Mike, I feel fine. I don't have cancer or even the flu. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things busted in your life. Your ability to love, your ability to be loved, the things that make you, you, that don't function right. That's what God fixes. I love that. Only God can do that. Nobody else knows me, you, but God. That's why we have trouble sometimes with our spouses going, you don't understand me. You're right, they never will get over it. It's just bottom line. They can know a little bit about you, but only you are you. Why you react the way you do, why you do what you do. God knows all those things. He's the healer. But a lot of people don't want to be healed by God. They want to do it themselves. Well, verse 8. You guys go ahead and go up to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. You see, it isn't that Jesus stayed out of Jerusalem and Judah because he was scared. He said, my time has not yet come. Because he knew that there was going to be a reaction. Now, Jesus does go later on, but he doesn't go in the pomp and splendor of God's Son. He goes incognito. He goes up. And when he said these things to them, he remained in the Galilee. So his brothers went ahead and went on down to the, to the feast. And when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. You know, a lot of people think that's being deceptive, but you know, sometimes it's wise. Sometimes it's wise to not play everything you're doing out in front of people, but wait and see what God's going to do in your life. Well, verse 11, it says, the Jews sought him at the feast, and they said, where is he? Evidently, they must have recognized either his disciples or certainly his brothers. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. This is speaking of the common people. Some people thought Jesus was great. Some people thought Jesus was a deceiver. You know, people are going to say that about you. They're going to say that about me. Get used to it. It's just the way it works. If you are with, the Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. For again, when they speak well of you, they also did that of the false prophets in the Old Testament. You got to be careful of that. We're not in a popularity contest. We're here to please God. And we always have to remember that steady Eddie. We just need to keep on pressing on a high calling, the mark of God. Now in the middle of the feast, And by the way, the festival of booze or tabernacles was a week long. 
And it was eight day, about eight days. And, and they, what they would do to celebrate this is a lot of people, they had their houses, but for a week, they would camp outside. They'd make these little booths out of, you know, wood sticks and cover them over with their linen and be in the shade. And it was reminiscent of what it was like when they came out of the, the land of Egypt and they were tabernacling in the wilderness. And so as they would do this, they were out in the wilderness. They get this special commemorative week to remind everybody and their children what it was like. So they went on a camp out for a week outside. Some people camped on top of the roofs of their houses even, just so they would be outside. And so in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. Well, so much for being incognito anymore. He was very much revealed who he was now. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? The pedigree. Who taught Jesus? That was the question. Well, you got to remember that Paul the Apostle was schooled by Gamaliel. Uh, uh, Elisha was schooled by Elijah. Uh, There was always, Samuel was schooled by Eli. There was always some kind of a pedigree, and Jesus just kind of shows up and knows all these things. And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Jesus was divinely sent by his Father. Remember, the doctrine that you bring people is not your doctrine. When you look at somebody and say, you know what? If you accept Christ, your sins are forgiven. If you reject Christ, your sins are not forgiven. And by the way, that's what Jesus said. Whoever sins you remit, they're remitted. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. That is not talking about a pastor or a rabbi or a priest. It's talking about you, the authority God has given you. If you look at somebody and say, if you accept Christ as your Savior, your sins are forgiven. Now, I didn't forgive that person. I just made a declaration as an ambassador of one from the Most High that says, if you accept Christ, your sins are forgiven. However, on the other hand, if you don't accept Christ, well, (laughs) you're still living in your sins, dude, and you'll die in your sins. And those will get you. Our doctrine is not our doctrine. Our doctrine is the one who sent us. My doctrine is not mine, but he who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether it I speak on my own authority. Now, everything Jesus taught them, and by the way, going back to this, it's important. They said they marveled having knowing letters. Jesus was reading them the Old Testament. Jesus said, search the scriptures in them you think you have eternal life. They're which testify of me. So if you want to know who Jesus is, you don't necessarily have to just be locked into the New Testament. You can look at the Old Testament because they're a picture of who was to come. Thank you for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. 
On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.